Let's turn our Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter number 1. Nehemiah chapter number 1. And this morning we'll look into the first chapter of Nehemiah. I'm going to read the entire chapter this morning for our text and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Already the fellowship has, uh, I've enjoyed the fellowship, I've enjoyed the music. As it comes time to the preaching of the Word of God, I want you to give me your attention. Uh, often I know what I'm going to preach uh, on Sunday by the previous Sunday, or certainly have in my mind, uh, but this morning the Lord impressed this message that I'm going to preach this morning uh, on my heart this morning, and uh, so I want you to listen carefully to me, and the uh, truths I'm going to give you this morning, I'm going to give you four uh, truths from this passage of Scripture, and each one of them could be a message in itself Uh, But I'm going to give them all to you this morning, so I really want you to give me your attention as we look at the Word of God. Verse number 1 of Nehemiah, chapter number 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali, and it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace. The Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and a certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. This morning, I want you to keep your Bible open. We're going to look at several of these verses again in just a few moments. This morning, I want to use this passage of Scripture to preach on this subject. Uh, what the church can learn from Nehemiah, what the church can learn from Nehemiah. There are some truths uh, that I want to touch on this morning that I believe that we all need to hear. And this morning, I trust that you'll give your attention uh, not only to me this morning, but to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God. And let's ask Him to bless the, the service, the remaining time we have. Father, I pray uh, that in a few minutes ahead of us, may we give our attention uh, to the Spirit of God as he speaks to us, as he uh, even puts us under conviction for certain things, may uh, we be sensitive to his leading. 
Uh, Father, today may we allow the Word of God to show us some things that we can make ready application to our own life, to our own situation, to our own church. And Father, may we be willing individually and collectively to act today on your leading. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God wanted Nehemiah, and we see in Nehemiah chapter number 1, God wanted him to do, and God's going to use him to do a great work. God's people are in captivity. They've rebelled against God, and because of that, they have fallen into captivity. We're reminded of that in the first couple of verses. And how Nehemiah gets a report from the homeland of the condition of his people. God is going to use him to do a great work. God is going to use him to help rebuild the walls and to reestablish things that uh, there, there should be in the, in, in, the, in the presence of the people of God. When you talk about the book of Nehemiah or the story of Nehemiah, and if you're familiar with this book of the Bible and this story, uh, the end of Nehemiah is always celebrated. And we think of Nehemiah as the great wall builder, and he was. We think of Nehemiah as the one who uh, restored uh, some credibility, restored some things to the people of God. But I want to remind you that before there is Nehemiah 7.1, which tells us now it came to pass when the wall was built. Can you imagine what a wonderful that day was in the life of God's people? The walls of the city had been destroyed. They lay in ruins. What a reminder every time they walked by the rubble that once was the protection, once was the, uh, the, the, the solitude of that great city. It was a reminder of their situation. It was a reminder of their condition. It was a reminder of what once was. God used Nehemiah to rebuild those walls. But before there was Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 1, the completion of of the walls. Uh, there was chapter number one in, in this story. <clears throat> See, this morning, by way of introduction, uh, let me just make a few statements, and I believe they would be applicable to us today. There are many people in churches as well, as well that want to see a nationwide revival. Wouldn't that be wonderful to see our nation turn back to God? I'm thankful that we still have the elements in our nation that acknowledges God. And it's still God bless America. It is still one nation under God. But friend, our, our country, our nation is still away from God. There are things that go on in our nation uh, that does not bring honor to God. And quite frankly is a reproach uh, on our nation. Uh, but there's a lot of people who want to see nationwide revival. We want to see things in our nation where we turn back to God. And you read, I don't know if you're a student of history or not, and a student of church history in our own nation, the great awakening that took place and uh, all those that were saved and turned to uh, churches would spring up and the bars and the saloons would close. Wouldn't that be a great day again in our nation? Well, there's a lot of people who would love to see a nationwide revival. There's churches that want to see a nationwide revival. There are people and Christians and cities that want to influence a nation. I'm thankful that we have sent out of our own church men and women and couples who, as I stand and preach here, they are standing to preach in other parts of our great nation. 
There's a lot of people who would love to impact the nation that way. How about our own city? Aren't there Christians who would love to make a difference in their own city? A church to impact a city. A friend, let me just interject right here. A church can't impact a city. A church can't make some changes in a city. There's a lot of people who dream of that. There's a lot of churches who long for that. And I would dare say in our city, as many churches as there are, there's almost one on every street corner. If you polled the people, would you like to see your church, your group of people make a difference in our city, the place where we live, amongst the communities uh, that, that we live in? I believe uh, to every single one of them would say, absolutely, we want to make an impact. Absolutely, we want to see some changes made. But friend, before... The great work is completed. Before Nehemiah chapter 7 in the declaration, now that the wall is completed. Before there's a nation that turns back to God. Before there's a revival where people look back to God. Before a city is impacted for good and for God. There has to be some realization of some things. If I can say it like this in context of our, our text this morning, there has to be Nehemiah chapter 1 before there's Nehemiah chapter number 7. And I'm afraid this, this speaks to our churches, to Christianity today. We want the walls rebuilt. We, we want our nation to look to God. We want the blessing of God on our nation as He has blessed us in years past. We want to see all of that. We want to see the, the crime go away. We want to see the, the vile things that take place in our nation. We want to see them eradicated. And we, want to, we long for the wall to be rebuilt. We, want, we long for the city to come out of the rubble. But I'm afraid we're spending too much time longing for Nehemiah 7. And we're not paying any attention to Nehemiah chapter number 1. This morning, there's some things in Nehemiah chapter number 1 that I'm going to bring out. This morning, I want you to take this message personally. I want you to take it personally as an individual. I want us to take it personally as a church this morning. As we look into Nehemiah chapter 1, and there's some things that we can learn and we need to learn from this chapter. I draw your attention back to verse number 3. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, he's getting a report from the homeland. How, 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 how is the homeland? How are, how are the brethren? How, how, how are my people? How is Jerusalem? And the report he gives the remnant that remain are left of the captivity there. In the province, and notice these next words, are in great affliction and reproach. The first thing I find that we need to pay attention to is we find a realization of the suffering. Before Nehemiah was prompted to leave the king's palace and his post there with the king, and go and battle the enemy, and go and endure hardship, go and endure the labor that was necessary to see the city those walls rebuilt, and the Word of God reestablished there in that city. Long before that ever took place, 
there is a realization of the suffering that his brethren were facing. There is a realization of the suffering of his countrymen in that which they were endured. He gets the report that they're in captivity and they're in great affliction and reproach. This morning I think of Proverbs 14.34 when I see that word reproach. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Friend, this morning as we make the application to us as the Emmanuel Baptist Church, but even let's break it down to us as an individual. There is nothing, and we need to be reminded, there is nothing that brings a reproach to the name of God's people like there is in sin. There is nothing that brings suffering today like sin. We like to blame everybody but sin. And this morning, I want us to be very specific and allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to us as a church and speak to us individually. This morning, I don't want us to take note of our nation's sin, although it is very grievous. It grieves the heart of God for a people to murder the unborn. It grieves the heart of God to redefine the things that God has created. It grieves the heart of God to legislate and legalize filth and sin. It grieves the heart of God. And we need to confess the sins of our nation. But this morning, I want to talk to the Emmanuel Baptist Church. I want to talk to member and visitor alike this morning. The thing that I want us to take note of is our own sin this morning. And that's what we have done. And we must realize the suffering of our countrymen, of our neighbors that comes from sin. We drive through our own neighborhoods Many of you drove several miles to be here this morning. Without realizing it, no way of knowing it, behind the doors of the homes we drove by are broken marriages because of sin. There's desperation because of sin. There is great affliction and reproach because of sin. Friend, I believe we as Christians and as a church, we need a wake-up call this morning. Well, this is a safe haven we have as God's people. This is a safe haven. There's just something about on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night walking into the house of God. And being around God's people, you can almost feel the load a little bit lighter. You can sense the hope and the camaraderie and as a safe haven for God's people. But friend, let's be reminded this morning, this is not the, 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 the realization this morning that this is not how it is behind every door. This is not how it is in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And too many of God's people are too concerned with what they have and not concerned enough with the realization that if somebody doesn't get concerned about those who are out there broken by sin, those who are out there suffering, those who are out there and that reproach that is on them from the suffering of their own doings. Nehemiah was serving in the palace of a, of a king. As he got the report of his countrymen, it broke his heart. We'll see that in just a moment. It compelled him to do something. Do you know what I'm, I, it's sad 
We have to take some responsibility. At some point, the church can't just keep pointing their finger at all the things that are taking on out there in the world. It's time we say we say we got to reach. We got to reach our neighborhoods. We got to reach our, our cities. We got to reach our country. We got to we got to reach our fellow man. We've got to care. We've got to give the gospel. We've got to be consumed with helping those that are out in this world. And in the average church, I'm afraid, amongst the average Christian, we get a shrug of the of the shoulders and say, "Well, at least mine aren't out there." We have the realization of the suffering, the great affliction, and the reproach. It brings us right into number two, and I've already alluded to it. We find it in verse number six. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine ear open, or thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants. Notice the, the latter part of the verse. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Notice this last phrase. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Second thing we must realize, we must learn from this passage of Scripture as a church, is there must be an acknowledgement of sin. When Nehemiah heard the condition and the suffering and the reproach, it immediately put him into action. But we, part of that action we see is that there was an acknowledgement of sin. He said, I and my father's house have sinned. Let me just pause right there. And where we need to take some inventory this morning. Let me remind all of us what God says about us. He says, for all have sinned. Everybody is a sinner. From this pastor to all the way to the back, everybody is a sinner. And first of all, we need to acknowledge our own sin. Well, if you're saved this morning, you know without a doubt that heaven is your eternal home. Jesus is your personal Savior. If you know this morning that you have been forgiven and you've accepted the forgiveness of God for your sins, you know it came about first when you realized that you were a sinner. If you will not acknowledge your own sin condition, you can't receive forgiveness for that same sin. And this morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if, you're, if you're, your heart stopped beating right at this moment, you spend eternity in a devil's hell because of the sin you've committed. Let me tell you this morning, the first thing is you've got to realize you're a sinner, just like everybody else here at some point had to realize they were a sinner. Then they called upon the name of the Lord. Friend, this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never called on Jesus to accept His payment. Friend, I don't understand why we would pay for something ourselves when our perfect Savior, the Son of God, has already paid that debt. And all we have to do is put our faith in that and not in our own selves and accept the free gift, acknowledge that we're not worthy. Acknowledge that we are a sinner. 
Acknowledge that we are undone without Christ. Acknowledge that we have no hope without Him. And put our faith in Him and He'll save our soul. Forgive us of our sins. And the scripture tells us, wash us as white as snow. Everybody here is a sinner. But those that are here that have trusted Christ as their Savior, when God looks at their account, He doesn't see all the things that they have done. He sees perfection. He sees forgiveness. He sees the blood of His own Son. And that record is white as snow because of what Jesus did. But Before we could ever enjoy that, we have to acknowledge that we're a sinner. But Christian, let's make it personal for you and I today. Since we've been saved, we still have a sin nature. And let's just be personal this morning. Let's take ownership. Let's not always be so quick to point out at a lost world. This room still got a, is full of a bunch of sinners. We live in a wicked day. We live in a vile day. Friend, as I study my Bible, when God, when that day of reckoning comes, it's coming to the church house first. Before it comes to a world. So I believe what our nation needs, our nation needs some men of God to stand behind the pulpit push the stool aside, open the word of God and say, if God's people don't get right, for too long the church, we keep preaching about the sins of this world and we ought to speak out against them. We ought to call sin, sin. And it does nobody good to patronize and to tell you that you're living your best life now. Oh no, in the sight of an almighty, holy God, sin is still vile and sin is still wretched. And I believe you and I need to take accountability of our own sin. We find an acknowledgement of sin and he doesn't say, I want to acknowledge my father's sin. He says, both I and my father's house. I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians today who are praying and say, I want to acknowledge everybody else's sin. We never want to acknowledge our own. Friend, you and I need to realize sin still offends God. Isn't it a little hypocritical for a lost world, for us to say that a lost world needs to be judged by their sin when we knowingly tolerate, live in sin? It's just not their sin. Yeah, preacher, preach against abortion. Preach against same-sex marriage. Preach against those drunks, those drug addicts. No, friend, that's, we, we need to acknowledge that that is sin and that is wrong. But let me tell you, the preaching we need in our nation today is preaching from the pulpit to the people sitting in the pew. It's time that we, can, we be reminded that our sin is wretched before God. Our sin offends God. Long before we can be a light in a lost world, we must be right with God. We must be willing to confess our sin. And I have no doubt this morning, as sure as I'm standing here, as sure as in the early hours, the Spirit of God 
put this message on my heart this morning. When the invitation comes in just a few moments, there ought to be people who come and let somebody open the Word of God and show them how they can be saved, show them how they can be, have forgiveness of their sins, show them how they can be an eternal child of God. But I'm also convinced that the moment the invitation begins, there ought to be Christians who leave their seat and come to an altar and confess their sins, confess the way they've been living, confess the things that they've been involved in. Just because your sin isn't as gross as the world's sin doesn't mean it's not sin. Before we judge a lost world, should we not judge our own heart? Before we judge a godless society, and I know if you're visiting today, I'm sorry. I know this isn't a preaching that is done in the average church, but that's why it's the average church. We need this kind of preaching. He says, "My both I and my father's house have sinned. He goes on in verse number 7. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. He's going to confess some things. And he doesn't say some of the things that a lot of Christians like to talk about. So what are those things? Everybody else's sins. This is what he says. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments. Don't respond this morning, but have you kept his commandments? We have not kept and have not kept nor the statutes, nor the judgments. What is the sin? Being disobedient to God. This morning, if you have a Bible, King James Bible in your hand, you have the commandments, you have the statutes, you, you have the commands of God. Now just as... Nehemiah would confess, he would be burdened by what he hears about the condition and, and, and the oppression that his countrymen and, and, and those that he loved are under. It then gets personal and he says, both I and my father's house have sinned. Too long Christians have because the gospel has cleaned them up because they're not living as bad as the world. They want to talk about everybody else's sin and confess everybody else's sin. Friend, you and I must acknowledge that if we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the judgments, we have sinned. And Before we get to that which we say we want, haven't we been saying for a while as the Amen Baptist Church, we want to make a difference in Jacksonville, Florida. We want to impact Jacksonville, Florida. But before we can go out there, we've got to acknowledge what is in here. You know, there's a lot in our city that's a mess. Crime. I can go on and on, and starting another social program isn't going to put a dent in it. The only thing that's going to change it is men getting their hearts right with God. The lost getting saved. The religious putting aside their religion and realizing it is just my relationship with God. But he confessed he just, they haven't been obeying what God had said. We live in the Bible Belt, don't we? You probably passed 15 churches before you got to this one. I wonder this morning how many Christians are willing to look into their own heart 
willing to acknowledge that what God calls sin, acknowledge that sin. I'll move on because of time. We find in verses 4 through 6, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy. But them that love him and observe his commandments, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. We find number three, a persistent pleading before God. Notice very, very quickly, and I'm running out of time. We find it. Verse number four, that when he heard of the captivity, he heard of the oppression. He heard of the great affliction and the approach. It says in verse four, it came to pass that I heard these words. I sat down and wept and mourned certain days. He actually cared about the condition of people he didn't even know. He actually cared about the condition of people that he had a love in his heart because they were his countrymen, it was his home. Would to God again, Christians would weep at the condition of their nation. Would again, would, would, to, would, would, would to God again, we would weep for the condition of lost souls and those that will die without the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But his weeping turned into something else. He mourned certain days, and notice what your Bible says, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then in verse 5, and, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven. He sought God. Verse number 6, I pray before thee now, day and night. He was consumed with the condition to the point it was a persistent pleading before God. Christian, this morning, I, I told you at the beginning, we, we, this is going to be personal to all of us this morning. Personal individually, but personal as a church. Because I believe that, that Christ's return is imminent. I believe the judgment of God is at hand. I believe that, that there's a reckoning that is coming. And friend, let me remind all of us, the day is coming when you and I will stand before an almighty God. We find Nehemiah mourning and weeping and then being persistent in his pleading before God. Christian, when's the last time or has there ever been a time that you've pleaded before God on behalf of somebody else? Pastor, it'll be great. If our nation had revival, but when have you pleaded for it? It'd be great if we could impact our city, but when have you pleaded for it? It'd be great for my own family to be saved. It'd be great for my own family to come to God. But when have you fasted? When have you prayed? When has it burdened you to the point where it consumed you from day and night? That something has got to take place in the heart of those that I care for to the point where we are persistent in our pleading before God. Friend, posting it on Facebook isn't going to change a thing. Posting a prayer on social media isn't going to change the outlook. We've got to get on our knees before our God, confess the sin in our own heart, and then plead before God. Would you make a difference? I'll ask this question. I'll move to the fourth and final point. If the hope of our nation, the hope of our city, 
the hope of our friends and family depended on your prayer life? Would there be any hope? Let that sink in for a moment. If the hope of a nation, the hope of a city, the hope of our own friends and family members depended on your prayer life, would there be any hope? Leads me to number four, and I'll mention this very quickly. Verse number eight and nine, Nehemiah reminds God what God has said. Verse number nine begins, if you turn unto me, God's reminded them, if you'll turn back to me, then he will respond. Isn't that wonderful to know that even though we wrong God, I, I hope this, this preaching has been convicting this morning. I hope this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're uncomfortable this morning because that means the Holy Spirit is working on you. You have an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. If you're a Christian this morning where you're a member or you're a guest, if you're a little bit uncomfortable, I can't apologize to you because we need to be uncomfortable when it comes to the matter that we're talking about this morning. But aren't you glad that there's a God that says no matter how far you get away, I'll have you come back. I'll take you back. And friend, this morning, if you walked in here for the first time and you look around and you see all these wonderful Christians, don't let them fool you. There's a story behind every person here and how they were lost without Christ. And they found the Lord Jesus Christ and they heard the story of how Christ died for them, paid for their sin debt. They were not worthy of it. They didn't deserve it. But because of the love of a holy and a righteous God, He sent His Son to pay their sin debt. They heard that story and said, I'll take Jesus. I'll take that gift. I'll take salvation. And their stories, even after they were saved, of getting away from God and making a mess of their own life. But there was a loving God with His arms wide open that says, Come on back, I'll take you back. Come back to my commandments. Come back to my statutes. There's always a God who in His love says, I'll take you back. But don't miss this point in verse number 11. Nehemiah says, O Lord, I beseech thee. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. The fourth truth is this. We find a willingness to take personal responsibility. Nehemiah is brokenhearted. Nehemiah himself goes to God. Nehemiah acknowledges the sin in his own heart as well as the sin of his nation. He acknowledges the fact that God, you said, you said that you would take your people back. You said that if they returned back to you, you would take them back. And Nehemiah doesn't do what a lot of Baptists do, does. He doesn't do what a lot of Christians do. He didn't wait for somebody else to walk an aisle and say, I'll do it. 
He didn't wait for somebody else to, 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 throw, to throw, throw, throw their hat in the ring. He didn't wait for somebody else to make changes. He didn't wait for somebody else to step forward. He said, God, as the king's cupbearer, I'll walk away from everything I have. I'll be the man. I'll ask you. I'm your servant. He stepped up. Would to God, we as God's people would not sit back and wait for another church to stand in the gap, another church to pay the price, another church to be holy and unspotted. But we would say, if nobody else will do it, the Emmanuel Baptist Church will fight the battles necessary, will sacrifice where we need to sacrifice, will live by faith. Would to God we have some Christians this morning that when an altar is open, they come and fall on their face and say, God, if nobody else will do it, I'll stand in that gap. I'll step forward. I'll give like I need to give. I'll spend time in prayer. I'll spend time in the Word of God. I'll volunteer to do anything necessary. There's a lot of Christians, I'm afraid. They talk the talk. But they don't walk the walk. There's nothing that frustrates me more in the way my brain thinks as a preacher and anything really is for people to talk about what needs to be done. Aren't you tired of that politically? Every politician can talk about what needs to be done. But how many of them are doing it? But spiritually, we bear some responsibility. We can talk about the condition of this world. We can talk about what needs to be done. But who's willing to raise a hand today and say, I'll do my part? Or are you still waiting on somebody else to do it? But notice the progression here. He had to pay attention and realize what's going on outside of his own life. People are selfish. Christians are selfish. I want to do something for God. I just don't want to impact me. I don't want to change anything about me. I don't want to change my budget. I don't want to change my schedule. I don't want to change anything. There's a realization that there's a world dying and going to hell. There are people who are hurting and suffering, and they need what, what, what God can give. They need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need what a church like this can offer them. We've got to, we've got to pay attention enough to even care. Then there's a confession of his own sin. The reason why there are many Christians who won't raise that hand as Nehemiah did and say, God, you said you'd take it back. Would you answer me? I'll volunteer. Is because you never get past the confession of your own sin. It's your own sin that keeps you from doing what God would use you to do. And we're unwilling to pay the price, unwilling to have a persistent pleading. It's sad. I'm afraid in the life of the average Christian, the only time we ever pray is when we need something. There's some things for us to learn. Hey, Nehemiah chapter 7. The wall is built. We want to see revival. I want to see my family members saved. I want to see our nation turn back to God. It's never going to happen without Nehemiah chapter number 1. And this morning, the preaching was personal. I need it. You need it. But this morning, we've come to the conclusion of the service. 
In just a moment, an old-fashioned altar is going to be open. And I want to continue to be personal. What are you going to do about it? There's Christians here this morning. You don't need to worry about what somebody may think you're involved in or what somebody might realize that you're a sinner. I've already let the cat out of the bag this morning. But there's some, you've got unconfessed sin in your heart and the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you about it this morning. Confess it. Get it right. This morning, perhaps there's somebody in the service you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. God knew you'd be here today. I didn't choose the message. God chose the message today. So why is God picking on me? Oh no, He's sitting the most gracious message you could ever hear. He's already sent His Son to pay your sin debt so that you can have salvation. You can have forgiveness. You're going to choose if you're lost this morning, you've never faced this reality. You're going to leave one way or another. You're going to leave a changed individual the same way you came in here. You're going to leave either on your way to heaven or on your way to hell. You're going to leave forgiven or unforgiven. The choice is yours. This morning, I believe the Spirit of God has spoken to us. I believe it's time for God's people. Let's not wait on the other group of people to do it. Let's not wait on somebody else from the other side of the auditorium to answer the call. It's time, quite frankly, for some, you've been playing Christianity, get all the way in. It's time for some to start serving and not just sit. Our nation needs us. Our city needs us. Your friends and family need you. This morning our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor...